Well, here we go again, Watermark. Good morning one more time. Now we're going to open up God's Word. Reminder that families, we're going to have a little kid's kit for you to be able to be a faithful leader and priest in your home. Uh, but this morning, we're going to study First Thess. This is a book that um, actually the, the passage we're in this morning, if you have not been tracking with us in our, our message series, we've done chapter one and we've done chapter two, verses one through 12. And today we're gonna finish chapter two. And what I wanna do as we get started is um, just give you a little insight into the way I think and the way I always enter into God's presence when I'm studying his words. And so um, people have been asking me a lot, hey, Todd, what should I be reading? What should I be uh, doing during this time? And, and one of the things I've been telling people is that you ought to read the Bible first and you ought to read the Bible most, all right? Every single one of us ought to be taking advantage of this time to increase our Bible intake. It is what makes us wise. I said this a little bit ago to those who were with us um, before we got into the message that Martin Luther has some incredibly applicable words to us because he was a man filled with the Spirit who was exceedingly wise and was ready to meet the challenge of his day and age. It's how you can be ready to meet the challenge of your day and age and be able to live out real truth every day in life and the leader that God's made you and the world we live in. God wants that for you. And so your little mantra ought to be that every day the Bible should be first and the Bible ought to be most in terms of what you're, you're taking in. When I go to God's word, um, I just remember a few simple things. Every time you pick up the word, I think this way. So I remind myself that this is the word of God. And so therefore, I come eagerly. I mean, can you imagine right now, there's a lot of um, folks that are on Twitter and things like that, asking questions like, hey, you know, that little game that you play, like if you could only be with three or four people because they're trying to encourage us to shrink our groups, who would you want to be with? And everybody thinks, oh, this celebrity would be fun to have, or this person would be great to have in my house. Well, let me just say this. Can you imagine God himself showing up where you are? God would share a cup of coffee with you and spend some time with you. So every time I open this up, I realize this is God's word. This is my benevolent, loving, kind, gracious father who no good thing does he withhold from people he loves, who gives grace and glory, who in his presence is fullness of joy and in his right hand are pleasures forever. So I just come eagerly. I'm like, what a privilege to get to have a Bible with me. When you open up your Bible, you want to come eagerly. Secondly, when you get your Bible, you ought to come humbly. Um, the scripture tells us in Isaiah 66 too, that God says, to this one I will look, uh, to him who is humble, who is contrite of spirit, and who trembles at my word. So just remember Come eagerly because this is your wise, loving father, but come humbly because this is your king. This is the decree of the holy king of the universe. The one who established the earth and created the earth, who the earth is sustained through his power and on his foundation, and the one to whom one day every man will give an account. So when you come, you come humbly. Thirdly, you come expectantly. The Bible's called revelation. It means that there is information headed your way that there's no other way for you to get. God's pulling back the scroll. Um, things that eye hasn't seen and ear hasn't heard. Things which don't even enter into the heart of men. All these things God has freely given to those who love him. So when you come, you ought to just get to God's word and just go, man, I can't believe that I'm about to get to have time with God. I can't believe that God would make it possible for me to graciously hear from him. And boy, Lord, I am ready to learn, which gets us to my fourth thing. You should come ready to change. The scripture says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, that's Romans 12 too. And, and that word there, it's, it's an imperative. It's plural, which means it's a command to all of us. It's a perfect passive present verb. All right, what's a present verb, a, a passive verb? A passive verb is something that happens to you not something you do. It doesn't say, go change yourself. It says, let the word of God transform you, okay? Be conformed in the image that God wants you to live in. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what the word of God does. So come ready to change. Pray Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Just say, God, know, know my anxious thoughts. 
See if there's any hurtful way in me, all right? Fretting and worry and despair are hurtful ways in you. Panic is not our way. It takes as much energy, as I've said a lot lately, to pray as it does to worry. And one is gonna do you a whole lot more good. So come ready to change as you meditate on things that are true. And then lastly, this is the word of God. Come ready to be sent to give it to others. You are blessed to be a blessing. So can you imagine if I was the only person who had First Thessalonians? I was the only one who had a chance to go back and be encouraged from history, from this true account. And I decided not to share it with you. I just stacked it up for me. That would be a terrible sin. It's why parents, Deuteronomy 6, are told to teach their children. And it's why missionaries like you are told to love and equip your neighbors. Okay, we said this last week. So if you come expectantly, one of the things I always tell my sons and my daughters and my friends is that when you're going to meet with somebody that you believe has something for you, you should never show up empty-handed. Have your journal, have a pen, get ready to open it up and write it down. Don't open your Bible without your journal and your pen ready to learn. So I'm going to give you a little second here, Dad, to model for your kids that this is the Word of God. And you're going to come expectantly. You're going to come humbly. I'm going to pray in just a second, God, that you would open our hearts and show us something, that you um, are eager to learn, you're ready to change, and then you look at your kids and you look at your roommates and you look at your community group and say, woe be to us if we don't share this good news. Okay. God can handle you moving while I pray. Get your journal, get your pen, get ready. Let's pray. Father, would you just teach us now? I I just thank you for the way you've given us the word of God, the way you have um, provided for us an opportunity to learn from history about how godly leaders have led in the past. I thank you for um, the example of Martin Luther during the bubonic plague of the 16th century. I thank you for the example of Paul during the plague of darkness and lostness and paganism. And we live in a land today where there is disease and people are scared and where there is a lot of folks who just like in Thessalonica are consumed with industry and are consumed with the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and do not have the sweetness of trusting in Jesus that we have. So thank you for your word pray you would teach us from it now that we might be blessed by it and that we would then be a blessing to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna read the text. Now, I'm gonna go ahead and read uh, 1 Thess 2, um, 1 through 12. And what I want you to do as I go through there is I want you to notice how one phrase keeps popping up. I'm going to stop just to kind of set some context. I'll remind you, chapter one is Paul saying, we give thanks to God for you because among other things, you're a church that is a faith that works, a love that labors, and a steadfast hope. And then he just praises the Thessalonians. And then the passage we're about to read, chapter two, verses one through 12, you're going to find out that he just says, this is the kind of leader that I was that produces the kind of church that others are thankful for. But watch what Paul says. We're going to have a little fun, a little laughter I'm going to insert right here. But this is what Paul says. You're going to see, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six plus times something pop up. It's something very relevant to what is happening in our homes right now during this time when we're pushed more together. Let's read it. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, but rather we had already suffered after we'd already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amidst much opposition. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our heart. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know. It's the second time, if you're not paying attention, that that showed up. Um, Nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. Nor do we seek glory from men, either from you or from others. Even those apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority, but we proved 
to be a gentle, gentle among you. As a nursing mother tenderly cares for her children, having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behaved toward you believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. Why? Because this is my prayer. This is my desire. This is why we're studying God's word together so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you in his own kingdom and glory. So let me just show you this a little bit ago. I think we've got a screenshot. We went through and underlined something that is repeated again and again. And so we'll see if just a moment it pops up. Um, There, if you'll just look at the blue in that, you'll see um, where I just kind of went through a little bit. And I, I just noticed again and again in these first few sections, Paul says, you yourselves know, as you know, Um, As you know, we proved among you, for you recall, you are witnesses. As um, you know, know, again, there it is again and again and again, it pops up. That Paul's saying, you got to watch me. You got to see that my faith was genuine, all right? I'm not telling you who I am. You know, I'm just just showing you who I am. Trust is an interesting thing, you know? Um, You can't demand that somebody trust you. You just wanna live in a trustworthy way. We of all people should do that. So one of the things that's happening right now as we limit our social interactions is we are upping the time that we spend with folks. There's not as many places to hide. We are around each other a whole lot more than um, maybe we typically are, or at least we're, we're more often um, with one small group of people than we are a broad group of people. And folks really get to know us. I, uh, I, I shared this yesterday in my Devo at noon. I'm going to show it to you, okay? Um, my answer was A, by the way. But this is just a little laughter. We're going to show it to you twice because it goes kind of quick, all right? This made me laugh out loud. Watch this. Because of coronavirus, you are going to be quarantined, but you have a choice. Do you A, quarantine with your wife and child, or B? B. <laughs> B. That, that is so well delivered. Uh, it's so funny. B, B. I don't care if it's uh, elective surgery without anesthesia. That B. <laughs> uh, kids, don't worry. Your parents would not choose that. They're, that's why they're with you now. They chose A, right? Um, I, I want you to know, I, um, I, I show you that because Paul, just like Martin Luther, he said, I'm going to stay right here with my people. I'm going to care for them. Paul said, I wish I could stay with you. So let me read to you 1 Thess 2, 13 through 20. We'll come back. We'll make some observations, some interpretations, and applications all the way through because we come to God's word ready to be changed. So may this text change us. Um, This is what it says. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They are not pleasing to God, but hostile to all men, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they might be saved. With the result that the guys who do this are always filling up the measure of their sins but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short while, in person, not in spirit, were all the more eager with great desire to see your face. For we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan hindered us. For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus that is coming? For you are our glory and our joy. Man, watermark. You are our glory and our joy. We, um, we love you and we're grateful for you. And we're praying that as a result of our time together today, that you will walk worthy of the calling with which you've been called. And that the evidence that God's people are present in this little Macedonia in which you live 
will be evident to all. And the reputation of the faithfulness of Christ in this church will echo out all across the country. So here we go. Let's just, um, just show you some things that I did. I, I, I think, you know, you already saw a little picture of this. So I used to write in my Bible and uh, I would mark my Bible up. I would write in, in very small ways. And I, I just can't read that little tiny writing. I frankly can't hardly read what I put on this. But this is an example of um, kind of what I do. I, I take the scripture and um, I double space it, I copy and paste it, and then I just go to work. That's pretty much how I prep every single week. And um, David and I are gonna talk more about that in a moment, but this is what I'm gonna be looking at when I, it's my Bible, basically, right here with me. It's pretty much all I ever take up is just the scriptures with a few notes that I've made uh, about it. So Paul, in the beginning, as I already said, you know, when he said, you yourselves know, uh, this has never been more true, that right now people know more than ever um, who we really are. This, by the way, is the beauty of community. It's why we push you into groups. Folks will do equipping and listen to podcasts and teachers they love all day long. They love to take notes and fill in the blanks and, and hear this study and that study. But what people don't always love to do is to apply it to their life. And we've got to apply it to our life. One of the best discipleship opportunities we've got that Jesus calls you to is to live life with other people. Because when you're in community, folks see if the Bible's in you. So I just made a little note to myself as I was reading through this to kind of set the whole thing up um, that, hey, the number one qualification of a church leaders is that they lead their family well. In other words, it's easy to kind of put on a front when you're in a camera or in front of a bunch of folks on Sunday. I, I can sound spiritual and look spiritual in a moment when you don't really get to know me. But when you live with me, when you um, cook with me and clean with me, when you work through the trials and troubles of everyday life, you're going to find out real quickly if I've been conformed into the world or if I've been transformed by the renewing of my mind. And so one of the true tests of a saint is that those that are closest to them are loudest in their praise and love for them. And Paul, that's why he kept saying in the passage we already read, the very first part, as you know, as you know, we behaved, you recall, We've already seen that this morning. And so we're praying for you that as you get closer to one another, you see how you each are close to Jesus. My, my daily devo yesterday was on how even while we're forced to uh, be together, you better make sure there is some social distancing even in your home where you're seeking a lonely place with Jesus. And then when you're with people that you remember Jesus in all things. Um, but Paul is gonna start verses 13 down through the following here with this little statement. We always and constantly thank God for you. Now, David and I are gonna talk a little bit about how when you read a book or study a book, this is a short little book, it's just five chapters he and I are gonna comment on. Um, you read it a lot, read it all the way through and you're gonna see some themes. One of the themes you're gonna see is Paul doesn't ever get to any kind of admonishment or encouragement, challenge, until we get to chapter four where he says, finally, just a few thoughts. But he spends chapter one, chapter two, and chapter three, just saying, this is why I'm thankful for you. So you might want to just, right now, in your journal, and you can go back and look at it, um, go back and look at First at Thess, chapter one, verse two, right there, because Paul says, we give thanks to God for all of you. And then you'll see again, in verse 13, we give thanks to God constantly, and you're going to find out why. In chapter one, it's because you have a, your faith works, your, your love is... Um, part of the sweat of your brow and your hope is steadfast. Chapter two, he's gonna say, I constantly thank God. And today we're gonna study why he's thankful. And then you're gonna see the exact same thing in 1 Thess 3, verses nine through 13. Um, we're thankful for you. And so church, I am thankful for you because I can say of you what Paul said of the Thessalonians church in chapter one, and I can say of you, many of you, most of you, what Paul says he's thankful for about the church in 1 Thess 2, 13 and following. So what was it? That you received the word of God, which you heard from us. See, Paul didn't come and he just didn't give um, pithy statements. He wasn't um, an entertainer. He wasn't somebody that was up there that was funny and that people go, gosh, man, you know, that's an amazing guy. Every time he speaks, he's got so many little anecdotes and jokes and I can't wait to hear him again. I mean, we're, we're not Jim Gaffigan and we're not Jerry Seinfeld. Listen, it's okay to laugh a little bit, 
But if you like your pastor because he tells great stories, then I would encourage you just to watch comedians on Netflix, all right? Um, stories aren't wrong. Stories help us explain the word of God. But if you have more story than word of God, something is out of balance. Do you remember how I said in your morning uh, study that you ought to do the Bible first and the Bible most? That's true of teaching. So let me just say that any teacher is listening to this, Bible first and Bible most. You ought to be talking about the word of God, not the word of Todd, not the word of some great storyteller, all right? Observe, interpret, apply. There's your application. When you speak, you ought to speak often. Uh, the teaching of kindness ought to be on your tongue. That's what a godly woman was like in Proverbs 31. It's amazing to me how many times when Jesus spoke, God himself he quoted what God had already said in the Old Testament. Some people went back and have looked and have estimated that one-tenth of what's preserved of the teachings of Christ are basically him quoting the Old Testament. I would tell you it's a lot more if you just go, he's just expounding on what, and explaining what the Old Testament said. Paul, that's all he did. Right? The book of James is just a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. Paul, when he writes letters, that's why you see again and again, this is what the Lord said, not I. Uh, it's been wisely said that, that Jesus laid the acorn and Paul grew the oak, right? He explained the seed of truth that Jesus said and the spirit of God allowed Paul to expound on it. So listen, pastors, we ought to be counseling biblically, okay? And everything that we do, we wanna make sure that um, the words of our mouth, because the meditations of our heart are God's word, it's gonna be acceptable to our king and our rock and our redeemer. Paul was so thankful um, that they received the word of God. And then he goes on, he says, which you heard from us, you accepted it, watch this, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God. Do you see what Paul keeps saying? I didn't come to you as some philosopher. Reminder, Thessalonica was a very strategic city. It was at the crossroads of the Ignatian Way um, over there from Rome, which was the capital of the world, really, to the, the, uh, right through Asia and uh, further and further to the, to the east, the Ignatian Way went right through. Here's the map again. You'll see it right there. That's kind of uh, the Silk Road, some people call it. Takes you all the way over there to Babylon. And if you went down uh, north, right through the, the, the cross section of, um, of Asia, you get down to the Kingsway and down into Africa. I mean, the whole world opened up right through Thessalonica. So there was all kinds of people that were sharing ideas. Paul said, I'm not sharing ideas. This is the word of God. And you received it for what it was, the word of God. Not Plato, not Aristotle, not Socrates, not the best ideas of men, the word of God. One of the things that I do again and again in church, this is what we encourage you to do. You devote daily. So when you pursue each other relationally, you can admonish faithfully from God's word. As people live authentically and say, I'm concerned, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. Should I leave the plague? What should I do? Should our community still get together? Counsel biblically. What's the word of God say? What principles are there so that we can engage missionally to the glory of God? All right? Let me um, just take a second and, and do a little cross-reference uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is a, a large section of Scripture, um, which I'm just going to read, all right? Word of God. Are you ready? This is what Paul said to the church in Corinth, which is actually where he wrote this letter from. He was in Corinth when he wrote to the Thessalonians. But Paul says this, When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. That's what I brought to you, because I determined to know nothing among you except Christ Jesus and him crucified. He said, listen, when I was with you, I was with you in, in much weakness and in fear and trembling because uh, I'm, I'm not a great public speaker, Paul might have thought, or I, I don't know if I'm not a very impressive person. But what I did have was a message. And my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of his power. This is Paul. And it says, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Watch this. He says, yet, we don't speak wisdom among those who are mature. Or excuse me, we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, that's not of this age, nor the rulers of this age, the philosophers of this age, they're all passing away. 
but we speak God's wisdom. Do you see Paul's pattern here? When he was in Thessalonica, he gave the word of God. He was thankful that they heard the word of God and you're gonna see in a minute they received the word of God. Paul says, I speak God's word, which is a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. Most people in today's day and age are still trying to figure it all out. They got their little Kabbalah, they got their little um, philosophers, their little um, love of miracles, you know, and, and different insights that others have as opposed to the miracle of the revealed word of God. For if they had understood it, Paul said, these rulers of this age would not have crucified the Lord of glory because Jesus has anticipated all through your Old Testament. And they didn't know their Bible. They didn't pay attention to their Bible. And so they didn't act biblically. Now watch. He says, but just as it is written, things which I hasn't seen. This is a quote from Isaiah 64, verse four. Things which I hadn't seen, ear hasn't heard. Things which have not even entered into the heart of men. All that God has prepared for those who love him. It's why you come expectantly and eagerly because things that men could never know, God's revealed. Watch this. For to us, it says in verse 10, God has revealed them through his gracious spirit. For the spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of men except the spirit of the man which is in him? This is Paul's argument. Even so the thoughts of God, no one knows except the spirit of God. Well, guess what? The spirit of God is gracious to you. I tell folks all the time, come expectantly because God is always more eager to reveal his will to you than you ever will be to seek it. So Paul says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God so that we might know the things freely given to us by God, which things he says, we also speak. That's all you should speak. Not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man, just to warn you, a natural man doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him and cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised, okay? Um, the words are spiritually appraised. Sometimes, if you ever noticed this, like you were probably like this, maybe you were around a place where the Word of God was taught and it just kind of went, <clears throat> it just bounced off you like Teflon. That's why we pray when we go, right? So I, I want to say, here's just an observation, all right? Nobody, nobody's gonna respond to what I say because of the power of my preaching. They're gonna respond because of the grace of God. It's why uh, I pray like a, a Calvinist, if that word means anything to you. Somebody believes in the sovereignty of God. It's also, though, because I know that the words of the wise make knowledge acceptable. I preach like an Arminian. I preach like somebody who believes that it's up to men to make things happen. And, and the truth is, um, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. But God still wants us to build the house. So when I preach, I act like my preaching is the thing that's going to make a difference in your life. And um, when I preach, I, I, I try and do everything I can to, to grab you and to, to, to shake you and to wake you and, to, um, and, and spur you on. But at the end of the day, I, I know better. It's why people have asked me, Todd, do you ever have a hard time um, staying humble because of what God's done in this ministry? Let me just tell you something. I am under no illusion under no illusion why Watermark has become a church where there is a working faith, a laboring group of loving people, why there is steadfast hope, why the stories that I've heard from so many of you this week and what you're doing are just increasing and abounding and, 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 and are being reported all around the world. It's because God's at work in you and because you received the word of God. Not because I'm a great pastor. If I'm a great pastor, it's because I'm reading to you the word of God because all the pastors here, you guys shepherd one another and remind each other of the word of God. So listen, the word of God is spiritually appraised. And if you're not a spiritual person, it's gonna be like, what? It doesn't make any sense to me. It's why we pray. One of the reasons that Paul said, I give thanks to God is because Paul prayed that the word of God would have effect. Are you praying for your non-believing family members? Are you praying for your children that aren't, right now interested in what I'm saying? Are you praying for your spouse that's in the other room? Are you praying for your neighbors that, that don't know it's sweet to trust in Jesus? 
And you're doing everything you can when you're with them to, in a loving, winsome way, take the gospel to them. It's going to be God's work. When, when something happens, it's God who causes the growth. Let me just give you a, a quick cross-reference before I come back and read 1 Corinthians 2 to you again. This is in Mark chapter 4, okay? I, you, your pastor is wildly aware in verses 26 and 28 of why something happens here. I'm not a great farmer and planner. Watermark isn't this amazing ministry because um, I went to Texas A&M, whoop, just because if you were here, I know you'd do it, uh, and, and, and learned all about soil and all this different stuff. Listen, I study the human condition, do everything I can to um, think about how I can improve as a communicator. But at the end of the day, this is not Todd that's bringing about transformation. It's God. I'm just, I'm just the mailman. I'm just Johnny Appleseed. I'm just throwing the, the, the seed out there and the seed has power. And when it goes into a heart that by the grace of God is quickened and awakened, Christians, why you should be the most humble person on the face of the earth, it does something. This is Jesus in Mark 4, 26. He says, the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. All right, I just throw seed down, man. And, and I go to bed and I pray for you. And I get up by day and lo and behold, like a little bean sprout, the seed sprouts and grows. How? He himself doesn't know. It's the soil that produces the crop by itself because the soil is where God goes to work. First the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. It's God who causes the growth. You know what some guys do? They pat themselves on the back and they go, I'll tell you why this church has grown because I'm an amazing pastor. I'll tell you why Thessalonica became a church that others are grateful for because I'm Paul. No, this is who Paul was. He was the guy that didn't come with impressive words. This is why I tell you so many times I get so, I think you're trying to encourage me. You say, Todd, if you'd just been there, I know, that, I know that something amazing would happen. You don't need me there. You need the word of God on your lips. Open it, show it to your neighbor. Tell them the story of God's love. Explain to them why on a scale of one to 10, we can be a 10 in confidence before God understanding and knowing what he's done for us, that we might be saved, that God is not a God that we try and earn our favor with and our relationship with so that we can sneak into heaven. No, he's a God that's crashed into our sinfulness and brokenness and set us free. The wages of our sin is death, but the free gift of our incredible kind God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Oh my goodness. Now watch, humble Christian. You're blessed to be a blessing. Verse 15, 1 Corinthians 2. The one who is spiritual, the one that God in his grace um, has allowed the soil of his heart to be receptive. And by the way, you might be sitting out there thinking, okay, well, gosh, Todd, you know, uh, I want my soil to be receptive. Just say, God, change my heart. Show me what is true. Let me see it. Make that your prayer, right? Remember Isaiah 66, verse two, to this one I will look to he who is humble in spirit, to his a, a contrite heart, to this one I will look. So you want your soil to be receptive? Just say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm a person that makes everybody else want to choose B, <laughs> not to be around him. And there's no reason a holy God should want to be around me. Will you change me? Will you forgive me? And will you allow me to be somebody that is restored into relationship with you so in your grace, you can restore the glory that is lost by sin in me? That's how you become spiritually appraised. The one who is spiritually appraises, appraises all things of God is true. Yet he himself is not made righteous by anyone or appraised by no one. This is what the scripture says in verse 16, for who has known the mind of the Lord? that he will instruct God. Paul says, but we have the mind of Christ. How do you get the mind of Christ? Bible first, Bible most. Come on, church. I just love, I love the word of God. Can I just say this before I go forward? One of the things that concerns me, and listen, church, is some people, you know, uh, if I told you that we were going to have a prophetic ministry up here and um, that I'm going to put on Watermark TV a time when the elders of this church prophesy over you, I will tell you, 
of all the shows we do, I guarantee you that would be the number one rated show. Everybody would go, oh my gosh, the, 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 Todd and the elders are gonna prophesy. They're gonna get a more sure word from God and you're gonna wanna tune in. Well, listen, I, I, you should if we were gonna give you the word of God. And we are right now. This is prophecy and it's 100% true. And so tune in, lean in like, oh my gosh, Todd's about to tell us something, a revealing that the word of God is what will change you. So I wanna, Martin Luther again, okay? I, I get so frustrated when people um, want to see miracles so that they can um, somehow think that that guy is, is anointed or they wanna hear prophecy from that guy like he's some special envoy from God or an angel would show up. Listen to what Martin Luther said. He says, you ought to think this way, okay? Uh, nope, 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 that's not, that's not the quote. Not the one he said. Uh, the quote is this one. Um, I have covenanted with my Lord, that one. I have covenanted with my Lord that he should not send visions. This is so important. God, don't send me visions or dreams or even angels. I am content, Luther said, with this gift of the scripture, which teaches and supplies all that is necessary for both this life and the life which is to come. Martin Luther stood against the most powerful forces on earth. And he said, hey, I don't need a dream. I don't need a vision. I don't need to stand up against the Pope and against kings. I don't need to um, have any more confidence that I should go to a stake and be burned or be separated from my family into a cell. I don't need a vision or a dream or a prophet to show up. In fact, one of the things that we're warned against, and if you go back and read Deuteronomy 13, uh, verses one through three, it says, if somebody comes to you and does miracles, but they don't teach you the word of God, kill them. <laughs> And so I'm not recommending that you run a stake through them, okay? What I'm recommended is that you don't stake out where they are. The most important thing about a pastor and a teacher is not the, the glory cloud he could bring in. It's the glory of God that he represents. And if they're not teaching you a biblical Jesus, if they're not rightly dividing the word of truth, it doesn't matter. Let me just read you Deuteronomy 13. These guys pulled it up, all right? If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder and the sign or wonder comes true, the thing which he said happened, but then he says, let us go after other gods whom you've not known and let us serve them. Don't listen to the words of that prophet or the dreamer. Do you know something? Satan disguised himself as an angel of light. Sometimes there are powerful, magical, mystical things that happen that make it look like it's from God, not always. You wanna know how you can know a leader is from God? He teaches the book. He rightly defines the book. He makes Jesus who Jesus is supposed to be. He doesn't tell you Jesus died on a cross to heal your physical diseases. He tells you that Jesus died on the cross to deliver you from sin and death. Now we should pray for each other in our sickness but the mark of a godly leader is not that he prays for your body and you get well. The mark of a godly leader is that he rightly represents God. God says, I'm gonna test you by giving people who put on great shows for you, who are cool and who are funny and who sometimes even give the illusion that I'm working in them, but they won't teach you what I teach you because I'm gonna see if you love me. Jesus did miracles, but he rightly divided the word of truth. That's why he kept saying, have you not read? Go and find out what this means. Oh man, I love it. I love it, I love it. Um, I, I found this quote, Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, he was teaching a sermon on Ezekiel chapter 11, verse five. And... Um, the, the title of the sermon was called Thus Saith the Lord. And, and that's where that quote from Martin Luther, I was exposed to it. And um, this is what Spurgeon wrote after reading what Luther wrote about don't give me dreams or visions or angels, just give me your word. You guys got it. You don't need an angel to show up in your little sequestered place. You just need your word, right? Spurgeon said, only feed me on your word and I will not envy king's delicacies. I won't even envy angels around your throne that eat the bread of heaven, he says hyperbolically, on which they live. Just give me the book. 
guys, this is the word of God. Come eagerly. This is the word of God. Come humbly. This is the word of God. Come expectantly. This is the word of God. Come ready to change. This is the word of God. Come ready, having received the blessing, to go be a blessing to others. <laughs> Dang, no. That's just verse 13. <laughs> Thank you, guys. This is such a privilege um, just to get to study God's word with you. Watch. Come and get it, man. Come and get it. Verse 14. For you, brethren, do you see Paul? Um, Paul said earlier, I love you like a mom. I exhort you like a father. But he said, I'm not an apostle. I'm not greater than you. You know, I mean, he, he said, I've got apostolic authority. And listen, I, I, I mean, I'm a, I am a leader and an elder in the church, but my authority is the love of God. And I'm your brother. I am a Christian saved by grace who needs your prayers, who needs your encouragement. Um, and you're my brothers. I, I, I've been just calling a number of members of our body. We're calling every single member of our body these next few days. Um, if you don't get a phone call, it's because you're not a member. You haven't gone through the process or we've made a terrible mistake. But um, when I've been calling my brothers, I have been so encouraged by their faithfulness. Paul wasn't some celebrity pastor who had some security around him. There was no honor culture where when he walked in the room, people stood up. It just frustrates the heck out of me. Um, the way I see so many guys make a big deal about themselves. No, I'm your brother. You're my sister and brothers in the Lord, and I love you. Brethren, I'm thankful for you because God answered my prayer that you receive the word of God. And because you became imitators, he says, of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. Just so you know, when the church first started in Judea um, for seven years, it really was nowhere but in Jerusalem and Judea, just that little region. And then it started to go out to Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world, seven years. And they suffered a lot because Christ followers, um, the early church was all Jews. Again, the most Jewish thing you can do is believe in the Messiah, but not all Jews did. Um, it disrupted their systems, which were a distortion of the word of God. And when somebody preached the gospel or the fulfillment of the prophets and the law, they ran them out because it made them not uh, as powerful. And these guys who were the leaders of that system loved to lord it over others in their positions of authority. And so when you came with a gospel that flattened the, lay, you know, the playing field, um, they ran you out. They said, no, you got to trust our systems, our ways, our structures, our polity, our sacraments. That's how you get saved. No. You get saved by trusting in the cross. And Paul said, that church suffered a lot because they stood up against the powers that be. And you became imitators of them. Paul had already heard just in the months that he'd been away from Thessalonica that, um, as it says earlier in chapter two, um, that you had experienced many trials and, and we had much opposition and you're suffering some. And in doing so, you're showing yourself to be the true church of Jesus Christ. Like, Christian, if nobody ever has a problem with what you're saying, I, 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 that's a bit of a concern for you, right? Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. But um, you know, if everybody loves everything you're saying and this is a world that's not spiritually appraised, there's a pretty good chance you're not speaking the words of the Spirit. Let me just give you um, a few examples about this. Actually, let me read a little bit and I'll, I'll tell you why I'm gonna do this. He says, um, you endured the same suffering at the hands of your own countrymen. Um, the church has always been tested with hardship and suffering. Um, it says, even like the church in Jerusalem suffered at the hands of their Jewish brethren, because that's where the first church was in Jerusalem, around a lot of Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They're not pleasing to God, but they're hostile to all men. A couple of things I just want to say here. This is not an anti-Semitic statement, okay? What Paul's just doing is observing what happened in that particular area. Paul himself was a Jew. He, he prayed that he himself would die so his Jewish brethren 
could come to know who God was. I mean, that's why he would go right to the synagogue in every town that he went to. That's what he did in Thessalonica. That's what he um, did in Berea. That's what he did in, in, in Corinth. Everywhere there was. He didn't do it in Philippi because there was no synagogue. So Paul loved the Jews. And we love the Jews. We love the Hindus and the Muslims, the agnostic and the atheist, okay? But um, one of the things that, that um, you know, Paul says in this little section right here is just that um, when men are confronted with things that disrupt the status quo, they're not gonna like you. So let me give you just a couple of real life examples. Right now in India, we, um, we have a relationship with our friends at, at Empart um, who are faithful over there to plant churches and, um, and advance the gospel. Their prime minister, Modi, right now is um, allowing that culture to be more and more radicalized with Hinduism. And so you're finding that he's shutting down a lot of Christian organizations. Compassion International, our, our partner in El Salvador, has been run out, even though they were caring for, um, oh my gosh, I think there was like, uh, I, w- I want to say, well, millions of children or hundreds of thousands of children. I can't think of the exact number, but millions of dollars was being provided of care and compassion to India. But because it was done in the name of Jesus, they ran them out. Hinduism is the perfect system for individuals that want to oppress others. Because Hinduism tells you that the reason people are of a lower caste, the reason that people are, um, are poor and diseased and uh, untouchable is because they lived a poor life in the previous life. And so if you care for them or help them, then you're disrupting the will of the gods. And so it's gonna be bad karma for you. So if you want a system that entitles you in your privilege and cause you to not have to be compassionate and not to be gracious and generous to others, that you can have a class system that um, allows you to enslave and abuse and ignore people created in the image of God, Hinduism is the perfect system. And so the powers that be, the uh, elite of Hinduism, hate Christianity and persecute Christians because it's exposing the lie of that demonic system. And you have similar things that were happening in Jerusalem. You see this is why... um, our culture that loves sex and wants abortion to be, if you will, uh, a secondary form of birth control, when we start to talk about the dignity of humans created and how that shouldn't be an option to eliminate human life because of inconvenience or an interruption or an unplanned beginning of life in your womb, that's why they come at you, because you're messing with their religion, which is their desire to do what they want to do when they want to do it. Um, you'll see the same thing is going to happen um, around certain people that increasingly give themselves over to the secular age. There are going to be churchmen and churches that say people who teach a biblical orthodoxy are hate speakers, intolerant, because they love their power and they love their position, just like the corrupted church in Germany went along with fascism and Nazism and hated the Jews because that was the thing to do. Uh, there's going to be individuals who say, if you hate our expression of, uh, of gender ideology or human sexuality. That's hate speech. And you're going to find there's going to be churches that will persecute the true church. And so Thessalonica, Watermark, let me just say this to you. You want to be somebody that um, is ready to stand firm and not shrink back amidst a lot of the opposition And so he says, true believers do that. I'm going to wrap up kind of quickly here. Um, You know, when people have a, um, a lack of belief in God, one of the greatest dangers, because this is a very humbling passage here, one of the greatest dangers to your unbelief is not only that you're an unbeliever, but that you profligate rebellion against God, that you stand against others. This is a quote that I wrote down that somebody said, people who shut up, uh, who shut people uh, up who want to share the gospel are doing uh, nothing more than, um, than you. Well, let me say this. I'm so sorry. Uh, it's an application for us in just a moment. Um, there, there's a, a, a quote that basically says um, that the greatest 
problem with people that are uh, against the way and the will of God is that they partner with the enemy in discouraging people from believing the will of God. Let me give you a better quote. Matthew 18, 7. This is where um, Jesus just said, woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks. For it's inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to that man through whom the stumbling block comes. So the people that were in Jerusalem that persecuted the early believers, they were causing a stumbling block to others who believe. And Jesus says, that's not going to go well for you. Look what's going to happen to them. This is a really humbling thing. It says they're going to fill up the measure of their sins and they're going to have wrath come upon them to the uttermost. When Paul wrote back to Thessalonica in 2 Thessalonians chapter uh, 1, verse 9, it says of these people that these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the glory of God, or actually from the presence of God and the glory of his power. That is a humbling verse. And so be kind to those who persecute you. Pray for them, that God would give the soil of their heart kindness. Now, verse 17, very quickly. If there's one verse that is perfect for this day and age, it's verse 17. This is what it says. It says, but we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short while in person, not in spirit, um, but certainly in person, we're all the more eager to greet with you desire to your face. Man, if there's ever a verse that goes with this day and age, it is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17. So we're away from you in body, but not in spirit. And we are all the more eager to uh, greet you with a great desire to your face. There's going to be a day when God's going to let us gather again. And we're going to see that while sometimes being online is kind of nice, man, um, it's nothing like being together. So I long for that day. Paul says, for we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once. And yet Satan hindered us. You're going to find out the reason Satan hindered them is because some believer cut a deal and basically gave a pledge and money that, um, that he'd get these guys that are turning the world upside down, uh, would leave town. And so Paul, out of um, respect for the word that a believer gave that was hosting him, felt like he couldn't go back because it was going to cause too much trouble. And so he longed to be with them, but he sent up Timothy and we're going to find that out next week when we study some of this together. But Paul said, listen, you need to know that you are hope, our joy, our crown of exaltation. Church, you're our lasting impression. Evidence that Christ is in us and that we're at work is you. You're the lasting impression. Your faithfulness in your smaller communities, your faithfulness in loving your neighbors. It is our joy. It's our crown. Other people that you have ministered to, it's our exaltation. You are our glory and our joy. You are a church we're thankful to God for because he's answered our prayer that you would receive the word of God for what it is. We're thankful because you're imitators of the true church and we're thankful that you're disciple makers that are causing others to know the goodness of God.